Welcome to the Faith Women Podcast. We're a community of women at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North Carolina, that desires to honor the Word of God, to support our church, and to encourage each other as we know, grow, serve, and go. Through these episodes, we'll be introducing you to our ministry team, sharing truth from God's Word, and challenging you to grow in your love for the Lord and those He's called you to serve. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. So welcome uh, tonight. You are in the breakout session, Hiding God's Word in Your Heart. If that's not where you're meant to be, you're welcome to go find your class now, and uh, we won't make fun of you as you walk out the door. Um, I've chosen excerpts from Psalm 119, so if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and open them and start there, that's what we're going to be in tonight. And I've done that specifically for its focus on the work of God's Word upon His children. That's what the whole book is about. Of course, we don't have time to go through the entire book uh, completely, but God has laid this on my heart through the last 10 years the idea of hiding God's word in your house, uh, in your house, in your heart, being a multifaceted process that lasts an entire lifetime. It is not something that we can just set our New Year's resolution on and then do a little better for a while. It's a big picture process that encompasses our whole life. Picture, if you will, for me, a traffic circle. You know, one of those blessed traffic circles in downtown Wake Forest. I've always said, you know, if the rapture happens while I'm right there, God's going to catch me fussing when he comes to get me. But when it works well, I actually like traffic circles. They work beautifully. You have all these different roads and avenues. And if you can picture a little drone flying over knee, over top, and God in the center of that, God's word, our heart, all of that core in the center then we can come into that traffic circle from different directions. And when we yield and we flow, it works beautifully. And I want to let you know that that is the process of hiding God's Word in your heart through the course of your lifetime. It's not all just Scripture memory. It's not all just Scripture study. It is a whole process that includes all of it. Psalm 119 was written to communicate that the Word of God contains everything man needs. That is good news, if you ask me. During that psalm, just as a little background, he uses 10 different words or meanings for his Word. He uses law, testimonies, word, promise, precept, path, statute, commandment, and judgments. There's only three verses out of 176 verses that don't use one of those words. And for those geeks out there that want to check me on that, it's 190, I mean 90, 122, and 132. Every other verse in Psalm 119 has one of those 10 words in it. That's how important it is. It is divided into 22 stanzas with eight verses each. Each stanza is given one letter of the 22-letter Hebrew alphabet. That was so everyone could remember that. They could associate it. You know, I used to homeschool my children. We had a little phonics song that I can sing to this day. Erin, we might make her sing it. Right? It was, it was designed to remember. A- a- apple, b- b- ball, cat, c- c- cat, and d- d- doll. 
And we remember that because of that. And that's the way the psalm was written so that the reader and the oral tradition would be able to remember it based on that Hebrew alphabet there. In all the verses, the first three are written to man by the psalmist. The, the rest of the 176 are written to God. Okay? So it is an incredibly important book for the process of studying God's Word. But since memorizing the Hebrew alphabet and what stanza is a little daunting task for a 45-minute breakout session, I wanted to share with you some information that I feel like I've gleaned from this with the help of the Holy Spirit to show you the importance and to free you from the burden of guilt. We women do that so well. And we, you come into this class because you are like, I want to do that better. I want to know God's Word more. I do that too. For, personally, for me, I've walked with the Lord 36 years. And I, you know, I find myself going, I don't know more. I should know more, right? But we, I, I want you today to, to relax, okay? And to see this is a process. And to do that, I want you to focus on four R's only tonight. We're going to look at four R's. Reason, remember, repent, and revive. Okay, those are the four R's that we're going to pull from the stanzas there. Reason, remember, repent, and revive. Say that with me. Reason, remember, repent, and revive. Now first, I want to start with reading those first three verses. Let's go to Psalm 119, 1 through 3. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek them with her whole heart. They also do no unrighteousness, and they walk in His ways. Those are the first three that are written to you by the psalmist. Now let's stop and think about those in a little more in depth. When he says, whose way is blameless, how do we stand before God blameless? There's only one way we can, right? In Christ, like she was saying tonight. It's amazing how many times I referenced that too, not knowing what she was going to say. In Christ, we can stay blameless. So the first step in anything for us to receive these blessings is a head and a heart commitment. We must commit to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We make that decision and then we are granted the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts because of that decision. But in Christ, we can be blameless. And in Christ, we have this blessing as we walk in the law. How do I know that? Because of His Word. His Word tells us so, right? From the very basic, it's like our primer, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's the basics of what we know. You know those salvation um, verses in your life. Those are some of the ver first verses we learn after we have come to know Christ. But in 2, it says, How blessed are those who observe His testimonies. All right, so now I have made this heart and, I mean, heart and head commitment, and now I'm going to begin to observe those testimonies. I'm going to try to obey this word that he talks about there. That's a lifelong process too because we are a stiff-necked people and everything in us wants to be free and do our own thing. But as I walk, it says, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. We begin 
then after salvation to submit our will. So we commit our minds and hearts, then we submit with our will to obedience, unto obedience in Christ. That too is a lifelong process. And then finally, they also do know unrighteousness. Now our behavior begins to reflect what has happened here, right? And then our yielding of our will to Him through the years. And now the results of that is we do know unrighteousness. And this is not talking about the eternal righteousness of salvation. This is talking about judicial righteousness, the day-to-day -day action of doing right and being in right standing with God, those things that we do to not sin against Him. So those are the first three verses and where we start. Now I'm going to add, she was funny that she brought up Ephesians. I'm going to add to that a couple of New Testament versions, uh, verses because I want you to see a complete picture here. Ephesians 1.13 says that in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, this seal brings into effect another promise, which is Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we are blessed when we know his word. We accept that word and we are sealed with the promise of Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and then that Holy Spirit is promised to continue that good work until the day of Christ Jesus. We all know this because that's what the Word tells us. And that's part of hiding His Word into our heart. All these things taken together are a great and mighty promise that this is valuable and this brings blessing on our life. So let's dive into the first R. And the first R is reason. In Isaiah 1.18, it says, Come, let us reason together, right? Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be white as wool. And this was the prophet's word to the people of Israel who were rebelling against God. But I love the way the reason there translates into the Hebrew. You know what it means? Settle the matter. Let's settle the matter. Let's decide on these things. And that, my friends, happens when we open the Word. That's the most important R. We must spend time knowing His Word by reading, by listening to. You know, our phones make that so much easier today. That's one good thing the phone brings in all of that. But when we reason together, we must put this Word in it. Everybody's heard that illustration where they train treasury uh, agents to spot counterfeit, not by having people study the counterfeit, but by having them study the real thing so that the counterfeit is obvious. It is the same principle for us. When we know His Word, then we can spot things that don't fall into that truth. So I invite you tonight, and as we look, remember, lifelong process, Okay, this is not something we do this next week. This is something we're going to walk all of our lives. But I invite you to reason. Let's decide some things and let's settle the matter. Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, right? 
We know that if we have walked with the Lord for years. We know that better the more time we spend in His written Word. Jump down with me to verse 9 there in the second stanza, and we're going to look at some of the parts here. What effect does this written Word have on us? What can we expect the written Word to have upon our life as a believer? In verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it to to your word, by keeping it according to your word. So number one there in your notes, if you're a note taker, we can expect to walk in purity as we hide God's word in our heart. That is one of the effects, hiding God's word, reasoning together in God's word. That's one of the effects that will be brought about. In verse 10, it says, with all my heart, I have sought you. Now, I don't know about you you ladies, but I don't have the ability in my flesh to seek him with my whole heart. I don't do that. You know, I'd like to stand up here and say that I do that, but I don't do that. I often wonder why I know my treasure lies right there and I don't pick up my Bible on certain days. I don't have that ability. But what this is saying here, it says, with all my heart I have sought you, He brings that desire to us. Truth leads to more truth, just like thirst leads to more thirst. Have you ever noticed that the more water you drink in a day, the thirstier you are? The less water you drink, the less thirsty you are? Truth has that same effect. When we dive into the Word, when we come to know Him, we want to know Him more. The more, the bigger He gets, the bigger He gets in our mind's eye, right? That is part of what's happening. He brings that divil. That's divine that he brings that ability for us to seek him with our whole heart. That's not something we muster up. Okay. Then in 10b, it says, do not let me wander from your commandments. So number three in there, it will protect you from wandering. All right. So number two, seek him with your, all your heart. And number three, He will protect you from wandering. All right, that's very valuable. My favorite hymn is Come Thou Fount. And it's because of that one line, Lord, my heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the one I love, but take my heart and take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Next in verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart. We all know this verse, right? That I may not sin against you. Think about that with me for just a minute. What do you do with things you treasure? Have you ever thought about how careful you are with things you treasure? I think of immediately, for those of you in here who are mothers, we treasure our children, don't? What's the number one thing we do? We try to protect them. That's our instinct. That's our mama bear. We protect that because that's our greatest treasure. The second aspect that we have on things we treasure is we may display that at the proper time. We might want to show that off. Often we do that with our children too, sometimes to a fault. But we want to protect our children until we're ready to set them free. I have a few possessions around my house that are very dear to me because of the story behind it. I display that. I have a a print that I bought when I was in France, and I love that print. Well, I don't hang that near the Nerf ball goal in the family room. I hang that in my dining room where baseballs don't go flying, right? Because I treasure that. I don't want anything to happen to that. So treasuring God's Word protects us from sin. 
Next in verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. To me, this is such good news. He is promising there that he will teach us. We don't have to go muster up all that on our own. He will teach us. Hasn't he done that with you before? You've opened a passage and perhaps you haven't seen that before or you haven't read it in that context or perhaps for a certain circumstance in your life, it truly speaks to you. Think about how you teach someone something, how gentle you are. I have the privilege right now, I've just retired after 12 years and I'm teaching my um, three of my grandchildren on Tuesdays each week. And as I sit there, I get down on their level. I make it as simple as I can. I look at their eyes to say, do you understand that? Now you try it. Now think about the Holy Spirit teaching us his word this way, right? Getting down on your level, making it as simple as he can so that you will get it. And he gives us small opportunities to say, now you try it. Don't quite have it. Let's start again. And we do that with our children or grandchildren in the most loving way because that moment when they get it, when they understand, brings such joy in our life. And it brings such joy to the Father when we all of a sudden learn His statute, something that we know we will apply the rest of our life. Verse 13, with my lips, I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. So for your blank there, declare his ordinances. That's a result of hiding God's word. We can then declare that truth to others. I can't declare all the truth. I don't know it, but I can declare what I know. I can declare the salvation verses to someone. I can say, this is true. I know this is true. I have walked this truth. There are many other verses that have become very true to me through the years. And I can declare to you those things that I know about him. I wish I could say I could declare it all. But once again, lifelong process. I can declare more now than I could at 27 years old. But this is evidence of you hiding God's word in your heart gradually. All right, and I'm going to give you a 6.5 because I left this off your list here. If you want to put that in there, rejoice in the testimonies, okay? Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. It To rejoice in those testimonies, and testimonies to me are the stories, the stories of the Bible. When we rejoice in that, we are thrilled to tell that story again. The story as we read it brings a smile to our face, brings a lightness to our heart. We rejoice in his testimonies. Next in 15, it says, I will meditate on your precepts. That meditation is when we think on and therefore it brings respect. Let's look at this just one more time. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. To regard his ways, they said in the Hebrew, is like a workman stepping back and looking at his creation and being proud of the way that looks. Think of an architect stepping back and looking at a completed building and going, wow. When we meditate on God's word, we begin to step back and admire the whole word as 
part of God's workmanship in that. We admire it. We look at it from afar. We can see it as a bigger picture. That is a result when we meditate on His precepts. We look at the overall design. And finally there in 16, I shall delight in your statutes. And I love this word to delight in his statue. I don't know about you ladies, but when I first came to know the Lord, right before I came to know the Lord, when he was beginning to work on me, I was scared to death of this book. I didn't want to open it. I didn't want to read it because to me, this book was do's and don'ts. And I knew I had a whole lot of don'ts going on in my life. And I didn't want to face that don't right there. And that's all it was. But now I don't look at the word the same way. This isn't a book of do's and don'ts. This is my love letter instruction manual. How to do life. How to receive the blessings that God has promised. How to know Him better. This has a totally different... I was thinking about one one year when the children were really young. My husband came in on Christmas Eve and he had the flu. And I mean the real flu, not the cold that we call a flu. He had the flu. He had a fever of 104, and he went to bed on the afternoon of Christmas Eve, and he did not get up until New Year's Day. He was down and out. Fever, I mean, he felt horrible. So we had four little children at the time, and Christmas Eve night, I am looking around going, we had a big wheel for Ethan, we had a dollhouse for Aaron, and we had a bicycle for Logan. Well, that's a blue job in our household. Daddy puts all that together, but Daddy was in bed. So I hiked up my britches, and I was like, I'm an intelligent woman. I can figure this out, right? So I start with the big wheel, and it's pretty self-explanatory. A couple of glances at the pictures, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I get that put together, and so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I can do this, right? Then I go to the dollhouse, but the dollhouse was secondhand, so it had no instruction. It was one of those giant Playmobil dollhouses, precious. It took me two hours to put that dollhouse together before I got it all together. But it was like, oh my goodness, all right, we got the dollhouse. And so then I start on the bicycle. Well, by this point, I don't want to read a 40-page instruction manual to put that bicycle. I'm thinking if I glance at a couple of, you know, the pedals go here, the handlebars go here, this Allen wrench turns this, and I start putting it together. And when I get to the very end, I realize that I have forgotten the little washers that make the pedals turn, spin. And I can't get that washer on there unless I take it all the way back apart. And you better bet, the next time, I followed the instructions to do it all over again. That Christmas Eve, I think I rolled into bed at 4 a.m. that morning after I had everything put together. And, of course, the kids are up at 6 going, let's open presents. (laughs) But it was an instruction manual that was sitting there to prevent me from big old do-overs, right? It was there to help me. It was there to bless me. And this is what delighting in his word is for us. It is here for us because he loves us and he wants us to come straight to him, not this way to him. He doesn't want us to have do-overs in life because sometimes there aren't any of those.
Now, there are many methods for studying God's Word. And originally what they had asked me to do was to teach this specifically. And I have taught it before, but it doesn't fit well into a 45-minute section. So I just want to hit the highlights. And if you have questions about that, I'm happy to talk to you in more detail. But back in the 90s, I went to an Anne Graham Lott seminar at The Cove. And she taught me principles of studying God's Word that stick with me to this day. I used it for this. And it's a three-step process where you take a passage of Scripture, whatever, however many verses you want. The good thing is you can take three verses. You can take 30 verses. You can do it whatever way you want. And you take three steps. You say, what does it say? And in that, you condense that Scripture without changing the meaning or the context to as narrow a Scripture as you can. Then you ask yourself, step two, what does it mean? And this is where is such a divine process because this is where you get to chase rabbits. You get to look at Greek and Hebrew. Once again, the phone Bible hub on your phone makes that so easy. You can follow other cross references. You can dive in and you ask yourself, why did God put that there? You know, Second Timothy says all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching reproof and training in righteousness. Why did God put that verse there? It's there for a reason. And you might have to take two or three verses at a time to find that reason, but it's there for a reason. So step two, when you say, what does that mean? You're asking, why has God put that there? Why does he think that scripture is important? And then you spend all week there if you want to. You spend a day, you spend an hour, you spend a week right there. Slow down and just meditate on those precepts at that point. Then the third step is how does it apply? Now, Lord, make that relevant to my life today. How does it apply to me today? I've got the context of how it applies in those ancient days. I've looked into why it's there and the language involved. But how does that make application for my life? Then the final thing I do, and this is, uh, I think one of the books out there is Jen Wilkin, Woman of the Word. She really helped me with that. I love that book. Erin actually loaned that book to me. What does this passage teach us about God and Jesus Christ? How does it point to Jesus Christ? Because the whole book is about Him, not about the application in our life, although there is that everywhere. But the book is about Him. So finally, I ask myself, what? does this say about him and about his son, Jesus? All right, so that is the method I use. Now, the second R, that's reason, okay? That's what we can expect when we reason together. The second R, we're going to pull from stanza 49 through 56. And that is to remember. And I put there to alleviate fears because this is just what happens But it also does so much more. Why is the process of remembering what I consider part of hiding God's word in our heart? And it is because what we remember is his faithfulness to us. And it's throughout scripture that remembering his faithfulness makes generational differences. Okay, over and over we see that where God, the people have met some crisis and God says, now remember this. 
all right? Build an altar here. He will remind them, remember what I have done for you on this day. I decided to go back to a couple of places in Scripture where I, I knew that he cited that. And, and this was amazing. In Exodus 15, it begins with the song of Moses regarding crossing the Red Sea where he is praising God and remembering what he had done for the Israelites as they escaped the Egyptian army. In Exodus 16, 33-35, we see Moses and Aaron placing an omer full of manna in a jar to be kept as a testimony throughout your generations, as a reminder that God provided for them in the wilderness. In Exodus 17, 14, um, when the amount Israel defeated the Amalekites, Aaron and Caleb held up Moses' arms, remember, so that they could win the battle. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. My goodness, my faithfulness. Then Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. That's where that took place. You see, when we remember God's faithfulness, how He answered a prayer through Scripture, how He is faithful to do what He says He will do, all throughout Scripture it shows His faithfulness, and all throughout your life He has shown Himself to be faithful. We are then saying, Jehovah Nisi, You are my banner. And the world sees, and your children see, and your grandchildren see that. You are remembering His faithfulness. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Psalm 105, For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Romans 3.3 declares that if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. So let's look at verse 49. Remember the word to your servant. Once again, just like he teaches us, he brings it to our mind when we need it. How many of you have had that happen in your life? Where you don't even know where it came from, but he brought scripture to your mind. I have the most amazing story of that. The, the, so my salvation experience was a process. I opened the door for him, but it wasn't for three months before I realized I needed a Savior and repentance fell upon me. <laughs> Serious repentance. And when my heart was finally broken and I realized who he was and how much I needed him, in that moment, I remember the Holy Spirit in a thought so powerful came into my head that said, you are my child now and no one will snatch you away. Well, for those who walked years for the Lord, much later, years later, I saw John 10, 28, where he says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. I never read that verse, but he brought that verse to my mind on the first day I belonged to Him. And since then, time and time again, He will bring it. And what does it bring? He remembers His Word to His servant, bringing hope. That brings us hope when He brings Scripture to our mind.
Look at 50 through 52. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly derive me, deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Remembering God's faithfulness and remembering Scripture allows us to comfort ourselves. Now, I have a tribe of women who have prayed for me for years, and I they're so precious to me. There's six of us ladies that have raised our kids together. We're dear friends, and they're precious. And there are times we give each other say, pray. But what about the moment of the gut punch? What about the times of terror when something happens and you don't have that opportunity to pick up the phone and call? What about when you bring something to mind that's your own sin? Remembering God's faithfulness is how we comfort ourselves in those times. And it's interesting that thinking about this, my son, Trevor, recently went through, he's been a contractor, he's a general contractor, and he was on a job that was an absolute nightmare down in Florida. And the man who was the Army Corps of Engineers supervisor on this job made his life so difficult for six months. It was awful. This man just seemed to have it in him to just, on the very first day, he said, I don't like you. I have the power to bankrupt you, and I may just do it. That was his first introduction to him. So it was brutal for six months. And at the height of it, and of course, as a mother, I'm going, this is terrible. What if he loses his company? What if they sue him for everything in the world? And I'm just fretting about this, so afraid for him because it was going to be this moment with lawyers and mediation and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, have I not shown you faithfulness to your family. Have I not shown you that? Yes, Lord, you have. He said, I am faithful. And the rest of that day, I walked around my house trying to remember every, every instance I could of God's faithfulness to my family. I would say it out loud. I would say it all the way back. Do you remember when you had an astronomy professor that was terrible in college? And I prayed for you to get through that class. I named that. All the memories of my life, I walked that and spoke it out loud. And guess what? By the end of that day, by the end of that Saturday cleaning house and just just giving example after example, all of a sudden I could think of Trevor and his circumstance and go, your will be done. I was at total peace about that because I knew my God was faithful no matter what. Whether it ended up good or bad, He was still faithful. And that's who we're trusting in. Verse 53, Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Remembering His word brings praise during our pilgrimage. It brings praise. Have you ever had that moment when all of a sudden you just burst out because you don't know what else to say? But you can remember a praise, a praise song, a worship song, scripture that way. Remembering that brings praise during our pilgrimage. And finally, in verse 55 and 56, O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. 
remembering God's word at night as you lay down, as those are some of the last thoughts you have, it brings ownership. It says it becomes yours when we meditate on his word as we close our eyes at night. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because I don't know about you, but when I'm having trouble sleeping, I start quoting scripture to myself. And it's amazing how fast I fall asleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But remember, I want you to take time to do this. Remember times that God has been faithful to your family. Record it there on that paper as you think about this again. When has God been faithful to your family? And if you can remember the scripture that proves that that faithfulness was of God, then pair that up and that will be part of your blessing and part of your testimony. Now, third point is repent, disciplined by truth. Sin and disobedience create a veil between us and a holy God. Hebrews even talks about that in chapter 12, 7 through 11. Discipline by the Lord is not pleasant at times, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? That's what it yields after that. When we get rid of that veil, Isaiah 65, 2, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good following their own thoughts. All day long, God has his arm spread going, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. All of God's dealings. Let's look over in the verse, in the stanza that begins with verse 65. All of God's dealings with us in the issue of discipline and repentance are truthful, accomplishing his purpose. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Okay, that implies right there that servant has fallen and God has dealt kindly with them. I'm panicked. <laughs> oh, that's not right. <laughs> she held up the five minute sign. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> that's very funny. All right. All of God's dealings are truthful, accomplishing his purpose. And repentance should stem from the scripture. You should, when you are feeling convicted over your sin, you should be able to, to look at scripture and know it's from them. And I say that because particularly if you're from a dysfunctional background, we women like to take on more than is really ours, right? We like to feel guilty about everything, some of us, and some of us don't want to introspect at all. But most of us take on more that is, than is ours. So we should be able to look at Scripture and say at that time, that is from God. Now, there's two big Scriptures there that cover a whole lot, and that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a whole lot of sin that falls right under there, at least in my life there is. But you should be able to love God's Word as you hide it in His heart and know when you need to repent and when this discipline is coming from the Lord. Look at verse 66 and 67. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep your word. Number two there, discipline brings discernment. All right, the way I simply, and I know this is a much bigger concept than what I'm saying, but simply said, Knowledge is knowing the facts. Discernment is knowing how and when to use them. And he is saying there, once you repent, once you accept the discipline of the Lord, repent of our sins, we have discernment. 
we're able to discern right from wrong. That is part of hiding God's word for a lifelong process to discern. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I speak this? Should I not speak that? That is part of the benefit of that. Let's go on here. 68. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. So number three there, trim the fat from your heart. Even back then, the psalmist realized that fat around the heart makes the heart not function. Okay? Even then. They realize that before medical procedures do what they do today. We know now that is very, very true physiologically. Fat around your heart suffocates you, causes your heart not to function. Fat around your liver, etc., etc. So trimming the fat off your heart is to make those things, those extra things, by confessing your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins, right? And cleanse you. And then finally, in verse 71 through 72, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statute. The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand pieces of gold or silver. Affliction brings knowledge. All right. So we know we're going to have knowledge. We know we're going to have discernment. We know he's, he's asking us to trim that extra fat. So the veil between us and God, that is why repentance is so important to the process of hiding God's word in our heart. All right. Finally, I want to look at the concept of revive, which is preserving our legacy. Now, all through what I did when I was first looking at Psalm 119, all through, I just rode through and and I just highlighted every time when I saw words repeat, every time it says revive. And if you look at that, there are so many Uh, references to the word revive. So we're going to jump around a little bit. Verse 25, 50, 93, 107, 149, 154. You can find that for yourself. But reviving in the original text means to quicken or to stimulate. And I don't know about you ladies, but I need that today in this cultural abyss that we are living in. I need my heart to be quickened for God. I need to be stimulated to good deeds and good works and the love of my Savior. So he says in there multiple times, revive me according to your word or your precepts or your ordinances. And those were some of the verses I just shared with you. Number one, revive me according to your word, precepts, ordinances, multiple references. Quicken me. This word quickens our spirit to love him more, to serve Him, to find joy in that process. Number two, in verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. So what happens to us as we hide God's Word in our heart and we revive, it, it, He revives us in our ways by turning us away from those things that are vanity in our life. And there are so many opportunities for us to pursue, pursue vanity. I mean, the phone is the worst part of that in our life, right? You don't, your house doesn't look like the DIY or the Instagram queen who has the perfect white kitchen and nothing's ever on the counters in there, right? All that we're not skinny enough, we're not fit enough, we're not this enough or that enough. That's all vanity. 
And he's promising there, I will revive you by turning your eyes to my ways away from that as we hide God's word in our heart. Then he says in verse 88, let's flip over to 88 real quickly. Revive me according to your loving kindness. When you look up that word in the original, it has, I'm sorry, that's number three. Revive me. Okay, hold on a second. Oh, I've changed the order of it. Okay, I've, I've moved that to number four. So grab that one that says uh, verse 88, revive me through your loving kindness. Let's do that one first. Sorry about that. I didn't realize I did that. That's good for me to know tomorrow. All right, when you look up that original text of loving kindness, it has three elements, kindness, reproof, and beauty. God's loving kindness is kind. It involves reproof, teaching us, correcting us, and beauty. Isn't that great? Have you ever been revived in just beauty? That's wonderful. That's what we see in creation. That's what we see when we hold a newborn baby. That sweet innocence, that beauty that he's created, right? So he will revive us as we hide God's word in our heart there. And then finally, what Mary, um, Mary was talking about, they revive me according to your righteousness, verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. And Matthew Henry's commentary there says, Let the sense of thy eternal justice give me vigor and life, that it will all belong to him. We will be seen home, as she was talking about tonight, and it all belongs, eternal justice belongs to them. And that quickens our spirit and quickens our heart as we know his word in there. Those are some of the processes that happen. Now, as we close tonight, I want to just create a word picture here for you. I was riding by a dump recently, <laughs> and I noticed that it was just billowing smoke, and yet it wasn't on fire. And what was happening is the biodegradable trash, or the not-so-biodegradable trash, pressed down on each other. It was just being smushed, smushed mountains of dump stuff. And it was producing what? A poisonous gas, methane, right? It was producing that. And I was thinking, isn't that ironic that when our trash is pressed down, it produces a poisonous gas, but when coal is pressed down, it produces a diamond. And so then I began to wonder, is that true or is that something from fifth grade that I misinterpreted? So I went home and started reading about how diamonds are formed. And I think my fifth grade teacher just made it real simple for me when she said that coal pressed. But you can't duplicate that in a laboratory. You can't just put coal under pressure and make a diamond in a laboratory, no matter how much pressure. You know why? Because there's an entire process for that coal. What happens is that coal sits, and did you know diamonds are always near a source of water? I didn't know this. Because what happens is the coal is pressed, and then the tectonic plates of the earth begin to shift, and water rushes in. And it takes that little piece of coal, and it tumbles deeper. And it has to involve water, tumbles deeper, rests again, and it's pressed again. And then the plates shift and then the coal rolls deeper and it's pressed again. 
That is a great picture for what happens when we, over a lifetime, hide God's Word in our heart. We tumble deeper, we're refined more, and in the end, a diamond is produced. But when we pursue our own way, and that is just our garbage. And the only thing at that point that we can produce is a poisonous gas to those around us. I want to be a diamond when I stand before the Lord. And I fully expect that to take me the rest of my life. And because of his blood, that will happen, right? Because he's the only reason I'll stand before him. But I want you to see that this is a lifelong process, but there are truths in there that we can expect for our life because we've hidden it in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word, Lord God. Help us, help us to seek you above all else. Help us to hide that in our hearts through studying your word, through reasoning together, Lord God, through remembering your faithfulness, through repenting of our sins and removing that veil that stands between us when we have sin and disobedience in our life. And Lord, we ask you to revive our spirit. Father God, we certainly need that in today's world, but revive our spirit in your ways, in your loving kindness, and in your word. Lord God, quicken us to hear your voice. Father, we love you and we praise you and we give you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Women Podcast. We hope you were both encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you join us at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville on a Sunday or at any of our special events. You can learn more about our ministry online at faithnc.org slash women. See you next month.